This is a podcast. We talk about running. We talk about other things too. So please come and join us. We hope you enjoy this. This is on the back foot. Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Back Foot with me, Alistair Woods. Joining me today, we have Jamie Rutherford. Hello. Mark Shaw. Hello. And Charlie Baker. Hello. So today we have something a little different for you today, something we weren't necessarily planning in advance. Basically following on from um, COVID-19 and coronavirus and and most races essentially being cancelled on on road and off-road, there's been a huge kind of spate of, I guess challenges going on rather than races especially in the, the off-road running world um, so there's been a big kind of following into to fkts recently um, so basically this episode we thought we'd do something a little different and it's one that we kind of recorded out of sync so essentially we've got a really great guest uh, lined up for you today um, and it was all a bit of a last minute thing but we're really happy to have them on jamie i know you had a big hand in in securing the big fish as it were so how, how did you do it, man? Like, what, what was what was your, what bait were you using? Um, I I offered. Oh, <laughs> oh careful! Hello, self self censoring. <laughs> I offered a highly uh, professional intellectual discussion about the pros and cons and the, the trials and tribulations of fell running. And then I realised that it was going to be me and Bart that were speaking to him. So I had to go back on that deal and just we'd have a we'd have a chat. The person that we're going to be speaking to is an incredible athlete and not only is he you know incredibly passionate about doing his own running but he's really enthusiastic about inspiring other people so I think that luckily for us and our listeners he was more than happy to speak to us uh, if it had the opportunity that he could inspire all, all runners to go out and push themselves and, and do the best that they could do so yeah I didn't I didn't have to do anything it was just quite as simple as asking politely really. Yeah, it's, it's, I, say, I, I was amazed when he said yes to us and obviously very thankful, but it was, I was personally, I was quite gutted. You'll probably notice listeners in the interview, myself and Mr. Baker aren't present, which may have been a good thing. I thought that was a stipulation of Kim's actually. <laughs> well, that we weren't there, probably. probably. <laughs> it might be that now the demise of our short-lived podcast hosting career, Charlie. We might get a load of feedback saying it's much better without me and you, so... <laughs> talking a bit obviously about fkts that is that like a record what is what is an fkt i think it's obviously a pretty new thing to the uk um i think it's been something in kind of global running that's been around for a long time especially over over the the us of a so fkt is essentially the fastest known time so essentially i think it's well i say unofficial in in kind of inverted commas an unofficial record on on a, on a particular route, whether that's a race route, but I think more, more, moreover, it's, it's kind of like a, a well-known hiking route, I think generally is, is where they all come from, and especially here in the UK, it seems to be, you know, the Pennine Bridleway or, you know, something similar or a coastal pass. So I think they've kind of come, kind of come from the US as far as I'm aware, and it seems to have suddenly kind of started lifting in popularity here in the UK over the last few years. But it, it just sounds like a cool, interesting way of running and a, a different way of doing things. And I, I presume, I say, I've not listened to, to Kim's interview yet, so I'm looking forward to it, but I presume he talked a little bit about why he's done some of the stuff he's done. I think the, the word FKT is new, but I think the idea has been around for, for ages. You know, it's essentially what almost what fell running's all about not it's not just the races but you know who, who can be the fastest at its simplest level who's the fastest up that hill and down or who can you know the bob graham is a really good example of an fkt so 
you know, who can get around this loop of latest fit builds the quickest. There's the big three rounds in the UK, but there's all sorts of other, you know, everywhere with, with mountains and hills. Like you say, the Peak District's got, the Pennine's got its own own ones that are from one end of the Pennines to the other, which that's been, have, had lots of people having a go at recently. Almost every range of hills in the UK has got a round that people have been having a go at recently. And like you say, I think, yeah, the word FKT is sort of, you know, some people don't like it, do they? But it's just, it's a nice way of summing up fastest known time on a particular route. Yeah, I found it amazing just watching so much happening. And I know lots of people have got into watching the little GPS dots, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And on this episode, I mean, I think this is an amazing achievement. So this is how many Lake District Hills can you climb in a 24-hour period? And just like, he'll go into it, but the mind boggles. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible, actually. So even, I think I could probably get up two um, yeah. and then need to stop and go to the pub. But I recently about two weekends ago did the, a bike packing trip with a friend of mine and we basically did the pennine bridleway in reverse so essentially the spine and obviously that's a route that's got a lot of press recently so i did it on a mountain bike over three days i, I nearly died <laughs> i was absolutely useless in work for the next couple of days and that's on a bike and obviously i say i'm, I'm into running and i you know i can appreciate elite runners but some of the stuff that's been going on well over years and years on that route but especially in the last kind of month or two it really put it in perspective for me of how savage that route is and even doing it on a mountain bike I could barely move so yeah hats off it was pretty incredible stuff to watch. Jamie you've had a go at and maybe you might not have been aiming for the for the fastest known time but you've had a go at a similar a challenge haven't you not a race you was it the Hadrian's yeah, walking? Uh, yeah so um Jake Lane, friend of the podcast. Hi, Jake. Talking um, about friend. Yeah, no, not he's not, not my friend. He's weird. No, he's, sorry, Jake. No, I love you really, mate. Acquaintance of the podcast. <laughs> we, we um, yeah, t- two years ago, we had, yeah, we didn't, you, you're right. We didn't set out with the aim of trying to break the record of running across Hadrian's Wall in the quickest time possible, but we set out to go and do it in one push. And we, I mean, we came close to, close to doing the time, to be honest. I think the record's like 16 hours, and I think we did about 17 and a half. Like it um, but we, we did it with help. Um, we didn't carry much gear, so we were supported, and I think the record is unsupported. So we, we were joined by some muggins along the way. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie came and helped us, and uh, my mum and dad and Jake's girlfriend, Jade, came along and, you know, we just had a, we had a big jog. But, yeah, that was, yeah, I suppose that was just an adventure. We went to go and do the adventure. We had no idea really whether we'd get close or whether we'd even, like, Jake and I had only ever run, like, a marathon distance before that, me on, on road and, and trail. And I think Jake had done, like, or perhaps had done a 30-mile trail race. But this is 87 miles, I think. Oh, that's, a, it might even be less than that, but we ended up running 87 in the end. So we didn't even know whether we'd actually complete the distance, let alone how, how quickly we do a bit. So, shall we um, uh, hear what Kim's got to say? Yeah, so let, let's do it. Let's, let's have a listen. All right, well, we're joined for this section of the podcast by uh, Kim Collison. If you've not heard of him, well, I don't know what he's been doing because his name's been very, very popular in the running events recently. Kim has done some incredible running and we're really 
pleased to have him here with us today to, to talk about lots of things, hopefully. Uh, Kim, welcome to On The Back Foot. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's good to be on, uh, come and speak to you guys. How, how are you? You've been, you've been doing a lot of running recently. How, how are the legs? Uh, legs are finally starting to get back to one piece. Um, I've probably done a little bit too much since my uh, record-breaking round, but I didn't want to miss the fun and adventures and helping others out with their their achievements so yeah um, I mean con- congratulations on your on your run I know it's it, it's not this weekend now it's weekend weekend gone so it's two weeks now yeah two weeks some of our listeners might not be aware of what you've even done so could you start by just giving us a really quick run through of what your record is and how it how it went down but basically you have a, a day um, or 24 hours to get back to the same point you started from and run as many mountaintops in that time as possible. And the, the stipulation of the, the rules of the, the rounds is that you have to visit all the same tops as the last record holder and then either run it slightly quicker or in or add a top. And then the best way is to add a top. Um, because everyone else has done so far that has broken the record so um and for it to be counted as a top it's got to be above a certain height and a certain distance away from the other top and there's a whole list of mountains that you can add um on the bob graham site um, fantastic so this isn't it, this it is a speed record in some essences but it's not about how fast can you complete a predefined list it's about how quickly can you keep going in a 24-hour period and how many peaks can you bag it in, in that said period? Is that right? Yeah. So it comes like a, a very similar to a 24-hour track race. You know, it's how far can you go in that, that time. Um, but with this, you, you have to get back to the same point as you started. So you've always got that pressure of the clock against you. Um, and you've got to try and guess whether you've got enough margin to add the extra distance and time um, into it. So, so what, are, what are those final hours like when you're kind of doing those mental calculations? Is it stressful? Are you, have you got it all planned out? Do you know exactly what you're doing or how's it feel? No, I was, I was, uh, I'm not, not very good at mental arithmetic at the best of times. <laughs> so, so trying to do it after 22 hours, and then trying to work, remember the splits and then try and add them up in your head and try to work out you know, how much have I got left, have I got enough margin, yeah. um, was, was, was a little bit stressful. Uh, especially at that stage, I was losing a little bit of time. I was, I was certainly paying the price for the very quick start that I had gone for to, to add the peak. And, and then there was like mist and clag and couldn't see much at all. So you're wandering along on Crag Hill, relying on your paces to try and get you to the right top, you know, without mucking up and losing five or 10 minutes here or there. Yeah. Um, and, and knowing that you've got to hit these splits, otherwise you're just not going to do it. Um, so actually it's not, it's not even the final hours. It's, it's almost all, all day for 24 hours. You, you sort of, it's playing on your mind. Is it, you know, am I going to hit this split at exactly the right time or, yeah, no, it is. It's, you've got the splits and you're constantly going, am I up it or am I down? Am I starting to lose? 
you know, is, is it, it, have I gone too quick and is it going to fall apart too early? And, and it, it is all uh, a game of a little bit of stress that you've got to handle. Yeah. yeah. It seems like yeah. it's much more of a mental challenge, even, even more so than your standard kind of Bob Graham round, which is just a case of, you know, keep going, get the peaks done. And even if you're falling off pace to a sense, you still got, you know, you can still complete the challenge. Whereas with this one, it's a, you either do or you don't to a sense. For, for me, it, it kind of puts it, uh, me in that more of that empathy with uh, people doing the Bob Graham rounds that are more on the margin or on the line. Sure. But, it, but it, it could go either way. Mm. And, and they've got to try and get everything perfect for them to yeah. get it get it right um and so it's kind of went okay so that's what it feels like to to be on that edge for a bob graham round um was there a point because i know you alluded to the clag and points and relying on your paces at what stage did you think okay i've, I've got this in the bag i haven't overspent myself the start it's not going to affect me i've got it what point did you think yes i've got this i i guess uh, Hollister, once I got the extra top and yeah. I was had still had some margin on what Mark Cartel had, yeah, but I, but I believe that it was could realistically happen at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it wasn't until probably four tops out, and and I was trying to do the mental arithmetic and thinking, yeah, I, I still got a good margin here. This, you know, I can, I can lose a minute or two on what Mark did on those splits, and and I'll still be fine. Um, but I guess it wasn't really until I was on top of Grisdale Pike with forty minutes to spare and thinking, yes, it's going to happen, barring barring disaster. That that's when it really sunk in. What were the what were the final numbers? What was the record that Mark had set? Because it stood for a while, right? It's you know, Mark's yeah. legend of the sport. And twenty three years, he set it in nineteen ninety seven. So yeah, and his his also was seventy seven tops, and yeah. he had broken Mark McDermott's record by uh, one. Um, and and actually, he broke Joss's record. Uh, at the time in the 70s was he got it up to 72 tops and then everyone thought that that would never be broken yeah and then Mark McDermott came along and sort of just uh, made that his goal um, against everything else planned it to detail and and just had one of those magical days yeah Um, and then just keeps kept raising that bar and I think it's got to that sort of status with Mark Cartel that no not many people dare try and attempt it right? or, or think about it because it is quite a, a difficult thing to fathom in your head. You know, how can I do that much climb, that much distance in 24 hours? Um, what so, made yeah. you dare? <laughs> yeah. um, what made me think was yeah. my winter Bob Graham round running, oh. running 1547 in on the 1st of December. Yeah, which, which congratulations again for that. No, no mean feat. That, I mean, that's, that's not a shabby time for a summer Bob Graham round, in all honesty, Kim. I think most of us would take that on a good day <laughs> in June, let alone, uh, you know, a cold day in the, in the deeps of winter. So. Yeah, but that, but that gives you the, the belief that actually 
that in the summer I could probably run the pace needed yeah. to be at least to be worthy contender to give it a crack. And then it wasn't until my friend Adam had a another his his last attempt um, at it. Adam Adam Perry. Adam Perry and um, unfortunately suffered with some stomach issues um, and problems early on, um, meaning he couldn't yeah, complete it, um, which, which is a shame because he got so close on one of his attempts. He so kind of reckoned he was probably eight minutes away from, from doing it, oh, which, heartbreaking. Which, which is heartbreaking. Um, and just, just things didn't quite add up for me on that day, um, which was a shame because you know, he deserved it. Um, so it kind of went for me to, to give it a go and to try and wreck it. And I was in, you know, from my Strava times, I knew I was on a really good place that I was challenging some of my best performances on my local fells. So I, I knew I was, was fit and ready. Um, and so it was kind of, let's, let's try. Cool. Um, it's, it's been, I mean, it's been remarkable. I mean, we're both, we both run a local club and obviously we have, you know, we're on our club Facebook and stuff like that. And everyone is talking about your record, Sabrina's attempt, Damien's record, well, the record just that... John, John Kelly's as well before. And yeah. yeah. What, why, now, what's your take on why, why this is all happening? And... and you know, everyone's fired up at the same time. Well, I think it's a combination, really. I mean, with, with COVID um, and everyone being locked down, if you were still motivated and able to train and add um, to do that, you've got no races to distract you or to tire you out. And normally by now you would have done possibly three or four different races and, and actually not being able to build yourself up to go through the training cycles and build yourself up to a peak for a race. Yeah. So I think a lot more of us are now more like a typical marathoner with two races. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's their goal. They go through the blocks and processes, get ready for that one thing and give it a go. And in, in the past, because everyone's so busy racing or doing races, they maps maybe don't get to that same position. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people talk about taking, I mean, the, the fell racing, you do, I know you do a lot of fell racing. You also do, uh, on top of that, some sky racing, don't you? And some yeah. ultras. I don't, I, mean, I don't confine myself to one kind of yeah. discipline. It's usually, unless it's off road. I don't, I don't tend to stick to the tarmac. And, and even just, you know, if you're doing a fell racing, so if you want to, you know, if you want to run in the uh, in the championships, for example, it's quite, you know, through the summer, it's quite a hefty toll on the yeah. body, isn't it? You're doing a lot of races. I wonder how much that sort of holds people back in a sense. It's the intensity of, of racing is you can't re repeat that almost in training. Yeah. Sometimes that maybe takes you a little bit longer to recover. So although the, the race is quality, the recovery takes longer. So you don't, you're probably not able to get as many quality sessions in amongst the rest of the training. I think the other side to it is um, 
is actually we've been able to recover better because we haven't had to drive far or you know we've managed to cut down some of the other periphery stuff and actually really focus on being better at recovery sleeping more prioritizing what's important i think that has has a major impact on on my training i think i think you you you're right in that in that recovery space i think that's possibly something that as as non-professional runners who maybe undervalue the importance of recovery yeah this this last couple of months has highlighted that to me because i you know i've been completely off work and i've not been treating any patients and so i've spent the vast majority of my time at home just hanging about and still being able to to train and keep up a reasonable volume and i've actually felt well i didn't realize it at the time but i felt really good and going back to work has introduced a lot of extra like stress and things and my just physically i just feel terrible like terrible now and i think it is because of my probably posture and form at, at work that then feeds back back into that and yeah like you say the sleep the, the just the the opportunity to train to my maximum and then recover throughout the day yeah it's a godsend and i think like you say the kind of the elite marathoners who only do two big races compared to some of some of us who might be guilty of almost racing every weekend every other week throwing in a midweek fell race yeah it is it is actually a really big toll on your body even if we're not necessarily performing at elite elite standards it's yeah it's it's been an interesting thing to observe and then i guess there's that that motivation to that drives you as well to achieve something and push yourself um so you built up that that energy that hasn't been spent yeah you can become really focused and motivated for it i think yeah Uh, that plays a key part i i did i i saw on um on an interview you've given already you talked about i think in the latter stages possibly if you're run that you'd use some mental motivation techniques to kind of keep yourself running and i picked up on damien hall when he was running, he, he had a FFF mantra uh, written onto his arm to kind of help. I don't even want to know what that is, Jamie. <laughs> um, I, think, I think he said it was friends, family and future, the, like the three oh, okay. things that are inspiring him and that yeah. are pushing him through, through the race. Yeah. So, yeah, Kim, I'd be interested to know, obviously there's a, there's a huge physical element to, to your undertakings, but do you train for the mental aspect as well? Is that something that you discuss with your athletes and try to involve in training? How important is that rather than just the aerobic and muscular aspects? Well, I think, yeah, particularly for the ultra scene, it is largely does become a mental game in terms of uh, the challenges that you face. The fatigue is, is going to accumulate. You're going to get that from running a distance. You are going to slow. So you, you've got to try and work tactics in. It's kind of that central governor type theory of, of the mind controlling the body mm. and not the body controlling the mind. So it's, it's trying to seek ways to try and overcome that sense of the, the messages that the body are telling your brain when actually you've probably got a lot more in your body than, than it's allowing. For me, what I was talking about at the end was trying to use positive words to describe myself, to try and get myself into that 
uh, right mood state to be able to keep pushing despite my stomach and my body telling me I wasn't too well and I should slow down. It's that trying to trick yourself into it. For me, quite a lot of visualization of what I'm going to do before the race, the week leading up to it or the couple of weeks leading up to it. Uh, quite a lot of evenings just laying in bed, visualizing the different um, sections of the route. Yeah. And, and getting a, okay, what does that look like? What might that feel like? Yeah. And trying to get that image yeah. and trying to identify, okay, where's the likely points that are going to feel hard so I can mentally prepare that when it does feel hard or if it does feel hard, how to keep pushing myself through that or and be able to accept that it is hard. Yeah. And it's okay um and then to be able to go okay what possible solutions are there going to be for why i might be feeling hard or ill or bad or and it usually starts with do i need to eat something mm-hmm. um, and that usually solves a lot of the problems and and then or it might be am i drinking too much not enough am i having enough salt um uh, have I got enough sugar? It's just that. What am I, you know, solving here? Um, and, and trying to keep on top of those. Then breaking it down. The typical, you know, eating an elephant. You know, we need it all in one go. Break it into small <laughs> bits. Have a right go. <laughs> and and have, you can have a go, but um, it's, it's easier in smaller chunks, as, yeah. as they say. So just focus on leg by time, and then top by top, and slowly you, you get there so that, yeah there's a lot to it in terms of psychology and I, I reckon that's part of the reason why these you know epic challenges they, they capture people's imagination in a way that maybe shorter races don't and I reckon well maybe I'm just a hunch but I think people are inspired by just that it's the thought of the places mentally that you go to and psychologically you know the the proverbial pain cave and it's probably why actually ultras are becoming more popular is people wanting to experience that for themselves find out what it's like and whether they're able to find the mental techniques to get through it yeah i, I think so i mean there is nothing quite like an ultra i mean or an endurance event to really find out things about yourself yeah, and develop that. those skills to overcome adversity and, and whatever that adversity is you know and then you're able to transfer that to everyday life yeah. um, and you know to how to, to problem solve how to think through things how to okay this is not so bad I've been in worse places before um, and I can usually come through it and you, you start to get that and then you know, it's, it's all about that feeling at the end once you've come through it and reached the finish line or overcome your challenge and you get that sense of achievement that makes it all worthwhile and, and why, we, why you keep pushing the boundary um, and hence why you eventually have ended up, for me, it was at this record because I'd already pushed myself and, and developed that confidence and that belief and you, and you need to keep trying to have that adventure. Once you know you can do something, but it's not as a good a feeling. So you've always got to think, what's next? Totally. How do you, how do you build in that 
sort of element of uncertainty. You think it's plausible, I might have a chance, but I'm not quite sure I can do it. Yes, yeah, that's 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 the ultimate, you know, is, where is that perfect? Uh, our band, we used to talk about it, is in uh, comfort zones, what's comfortable, what's stretched and what's panicked. And it's trying to find that happy stretch place that gets all those, ticks all those boxes. So where did it, where did it all, where did it all start for you, Kim? When did you sort of, were you always an athlete? You know, when you were um, a child, did you do athletics and things like that and get into it that way? Or was it something that you discovered you liked as an adult? And yeah, you know, I, I got into running at a young age. I mean, there was always outdoorsy playing out around in the woods and outdoors constantly. Um, and then I think my dad, well, my dad got into running when I was very young. And then I started wanting to run as well. And then I went to uh, train running club and, and started enjoying that, that feeling of running and running with head torches up in Wendover Woods and Ashridge and oh. places in, in Hartfordshire. Sorry, I went for running Wendover Woods for the first time um, just back at the start of the year because I've got a friend that lives there and I, I love it. It was really cool. Really yeah. nice place to run. Like, complete contrast maybe to running some of the stuff in Sheffield. But yeah, lovely. I can easily see how he might have got inspired. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, it's beautiful countryside and, and there's some short, sharp hills and they're steep and uh, lovely forest areas. So it's, it's you know, a, a joy. Um, and then we were always going up to Wales and the lakes um, with scouts or with the parents for holidays away. So, you know, I always developed that sense of passion for the mountains and, and the wilderness. And then, then I discovered I was actually fairly good at cross country um, at secondary school. And I, I got, uh, always remember sitting in the PE changing rooms and it came down to selection for the school cross country team to go like for the districts or the county cross country. Yeah. And then it wasn't the normal PE teacher that came and did the selection and he came and picked all the football players and I didn't get selected. So that stuck in my mind and fired me up. So the next year I went and ran all the school, won all the school cross country races for that, yeah. that winter season. Um, and that, that sort of sticks in my head as a thing that developed me <laughs> to drive, to motivate. So I, I had that from an early age, that development of endurance. Um, but I, I guess university and early 20s kind of happened and I wasn't running much at all or wasn't training specifically. I was, I mean, I was drinking. Um, I did become a smoker as well. And then eventually... I came home from traveling um, and working abroad and I did this orienteering color-coded event, a green standard, which is sort of middle of the road. Yeah. And, and it was up on Helton Fell, just um, in the Eastern Lakes, just above yeah. where my mum lives. And I was getting beaten by uh, a lot of old um, veterans, like the B60s and all sorts. And I'm thinking, this is not right. I'm young. <laughs> I should be fitter than this. I can, and I, I have been. So that was kind of the initial spark to, to actually start doing something different and then start training again. Um, and then eventually I came back and settled in Cumbria. And, and that's where the, the real journey to this point started. 
um, with lots of lots of miles and volume and, and multi-sport at that stage. Yeah, I was going to say, you got into adventure racing, didn't you? Do you yeah, want to yeah. tell us a bit about what that is? Because I reckon a lot of our listeners won't, won't know, or actually they might do, because we had Stuart Walker. You know, Stuart, oh, yes, yeah. Brilliant. On a few episodes ago, he's, he's dabbled, I know, in, the, in these kind of, uh, amazing multi multi sport multi discipline events. Yeah, what 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 are the kind of events that you've done and what's involved in them? And what appealed to me with venture racing was watching on some of the sport channels these uh, expedition races through these remote parts of these of countries that, and it just felt like a really massive adventure. And I thought one day I want to do that. Um, and go and go and explore these well wild areas. Yeah. So, so that's where the motivation came from. So I just started mountain biking, learning how to do that a little bit better, continuing running. Uh, I could kayak, so I developed those skills. And the basis of venture racing is is generally multi-day, and and it combines orienteering. So you've got to navigate your route A to B to different checkpoints as if it was an orienteering event. But the you know, the checkpoints could be like a day apart, possibly. Yeah. And, in, and usually the three main sports would be some form of paddling, yeah. um, some form of running or hiking, and some form of mountain biking. And then you'd perhaps get the odd whitewater rafting or abseiling or a little bit client you know a little special stages thrown into it yeah um so you you got this sort of journey element and and it was always a team event and the big ones are team of four and mixed and so you you had to operate as a team yeah, yeah. to get a to b and and so the, the longest event i did lasted was it eight and a half days and we, we basically crossed the whole of Costa Rica from coast to coast and border to border in, in one race. And that, that was, uh, you've got to deal with all that sleep monsters and everything like that. Yeah. So there's no, that's not done in stages. So it's not like you race to a checkpoint and they've got a, a nice kind of room or a nice tent set up for you. Do you carry all your own kit? or No. Just- so it, it's just like the spine would be. You know, yeah. when the gun goes, that's the start. And when you cross the finish line, that's the stop of the, the clock. Oh, um, so you've got to manage everything in between, including your sleep strategy and your stops. And, you know, when you take that um, to best get the best speed across the, the, the train. Mm. Sometimes it's, it's good to take a longer sleep and move quicker. Other times it's you just take the, the short, quick naps and try and reach the finish line before you're completely exhausted. And the classic example of that is Sabrina on her Wainwright trying to do it on minimal sleep compared to Paul who had some really good sleep bits and moved quicker between. So it was just completely different strategies to try and get the record or win the race as it would be. I imagine, Kim, over eight days across Costa Rica through some pretty remote environments I imagine there's a lot that can go wrong. Did you have any like real low moments, real, you know, times where you're not sure what the outcome is going to be? Yeah. I mean, all the time you're going through such waves of highs and, and lows and, and then drowsiness and 
on on that particular race, our team completely fell apart on a couple of days into the race and still having six odd days to race together. Um, when you say fell apart, I mean we there was a little bit of an argument and 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 you know it took a while, a few days to to sort of get over the argument and and still operate as as a team <laughs> to, to get to the finish because you, you when you're all very competitive and you're pushing each other yeah. and, and and then tensions arise and when you're you're so knackered it just goes can go <laughs> off and, and and you know that was that was a difficult uh, situation but you get through it and you finish it on the one I did the year before in France I remember having to there was a one of our team that was really really suffering and wasn't really fully conscious anymore you know, he was awake and was moving, but wasn't comprehending really where he was or what he was doing. Was that an energy, you know, energy deficiency, just lack of food or just a general ex- exhaustion? Or? General ex- exhaustion and, and sleep deprivation. And we had, two of us had to put him on a bungee to try and get to the last checkpoint and, and, and before we got cut off and to, to try and make the full course. A bungee. Describe describe what a bungee is. So basically, a piece of elastic which <laughs> you attach to yourself and to them, yeah. and you give them a little bit of extra assistance oh, wow. to keep them moving a little bit quicker. And it, if you're feeling a bit stronger and fresher, then as a team you move forward quicker. Yeah. So two of us really had to put in a lot of extra work. So I remember getting that cut off, making it, getting out of it. And then literally I was wiped and, and not really remembering. I think I put myself into the same situation that, that of Alex who we'd been towing on the bungee. So there were, I think there was three of us of the board of the team that were in that sort of state on the last day. Luckily, Anne had come strong by that stage and was able to navigate and sort of babysit us all and keep us moving. He's at the front yeah. of the bungee with, with three bungees behind him. No, no, we're on that stage, we shifted to the bikes. So it was like okay. cycle for an hour or two, fall off the bike, sleep on the edge of the path, get back on, try and move a bit further. <laughs> and, 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 and yes, and that was always, I think, my biggest thing I've overcome. And yeah. getting to that finish line, having overcome with that, just built that knowledge of anything's possible. Yeah, you can get through it. Nothing is as tough as that. <laughs> that I've experienced. Yeah, that must set you up. I mean, then doing things like you know UTMB and stuff like that. That for most people would be you know a huge roller coaster of of highs and lows and and that sort of you know those kind of crashes of energy and motivation and sleep deprivation for you must must seem a breeze after. No, but that's where, that's where it's not. It's be, it's because. When you're competitive, yeah, you add the performance element to it. Yeah, so you're always on the edge. Or, or you, you know you can complete it if you just did it as an A to B. And, yeah. And, but when you put the best runners in the world all together on the start line, uh, uh, fresh as a taper, and, and suddenly you're racing, you're always on that red line. And, and for me, I've blown up all the time at UTMB festivals because I'm so competitive, get driven too quick and, and suffer and pay the consequences. Yeah. So in some ways, it's, it's still massively a, a big challenge. 
Yeah, well, that's a, a definite relief for mere mortals like us. To, <laughs> yeah, everyone goes through those. Everyone makes those mistakes of starting too fast and maybe underfueling themselves. Yeah. Um, um, what have been the highlights of your kind of, you know, those, the, coming back to the running and the, you know, you mentioned you've done UTMB, uh, you've done a lot of fell racing, you've done a load of sky races. What have been the, the what have been your favourites, the things that stand out for you? Fell uh, race, one of my favourite memories and one of my best races ever was uh, Great Lakes when it was yeah. the biblical year. It was just heavy, heavy rain. The rivers were starting to get swollen. Yeah. And we started off from Stoolend Farm in, in Langdale and everyone started running up the band onto Bowfell. You know, and I was I was off the front pack at that stage um, on my own, and then suddenly I started to pick up. I remember picking up Morgan Donnelly running around the Bob Graham route round Esk Pike, and then led him up to Great End. And then there was a whole mass of runners not being able to find the checkpoint on Great End, so I was suddenly back at the front group. Everyone found the the, the top that the checkpoint was because there's like three different tops on Great End. Yeah, and no one was quite sure which one it was because full on mist and then I remember running across the Scarfell plateau being on Scarfell Pike with Rob Jeb and like I'm in the lead here and then suddenly <laughs> it was like I'm in the lead on my own and then you're running down towards towards slight side of Scarfell yeah um, but I didn't know the the gully and we the, the checkpoint guy hadn't got to the checkpoint we waved him because he was still in the mist making his way to it we ran past him and then I kind of missed the gully that you drop off and I went too far around. By that stage, I ended up in a group of five of us all running across, uh, I think it's Great Moss. Yeah, Jogging. boggy. Yeah, boggy, not really any path. And then there was these two swollen streams that you took your life in your own hands and, and jumped across. And because you're at the front of the race, you do something crazy. And, and then getting to the last climb, feeling, feeling still good and strong. And yeah. then I think it sort of came down to about three of us. And I was in following Lloyd Taggart's footsteps at that stage. Yeah. And, uh, and Ben Abdenor was there as well. And then, then we all got to the top together and then I decided to follow, all right, Lloyd, I'm following your steps. I don't really know the line to get down. And then just Right at the end, Ben, you were being a local Ambleside, he knew a little cut through. Got a 20 meter Blisco down to Langdale. Yeah, and then you're just flying down this steep slope in the grass, in the wet, almost yeah. sliding on your bum, trying for this English Championship race Amazing. win. Um, but you know, I mean, it was fantastic to run across the line in, in second place. And, and that always sticks in my memory as like one of my all time fun bell races. Um, where you know you felt like you were performing. Uh, it's a shame we haven't got Charlie on this because he did um, he did Great Lakes last year. And, uh, he did expert, expert racing, didn't he? The weather was better, yeah. But I think he <laughs> might maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I don't want to. Uh, you know, he's not here to defend himself. But I think he might have had one or two very slight navigational issues. Yeah. But really, really enjoyed it nonetheless. It sounds like I've not done it, but it sounds like an amazing race that one. The, the other key thing, race that really, in terms of trail running, was, was representing Great Britain in Annecy in 2015. There was 
pulling on your country's colours, having earned the right to do that, yeah. and and uh, standing on that start line with all these other athletes that you've seen on on social media and you respect and and being there with it and part of it and 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 then having a, a really good race to come 20th personally and, and helping the team win team bronze and standing standing on that podium in front of Lake Annecy and then getting the medal on you it was just you know a memory that I would never never forget what dreams are made of <laughs> yeah it's just, um, and, and yeah, you know, I feel lucky and privileged to have, have got there um, and had to have that experience. Um, and and yeah, and part of the reason I come on these podcasts is, is to try and help others and encourage and inspire um, and, and to keep those dreams and passions going that yeah. everyone can get somewhere and and build these these things. I think, like you say, that the ability to run for you run for your home nation and represent on an international level that's yeah it's incredible and like you say and to, and to do it as part of a team as well and to and to play a role in and coming back with the medals yeah i think anyone anyone would aspire to something like that it's awesome and whilst we're talking about inspiring other people i know that a lot of our listeners have been really excited to to know that we're going to be speaking to you we've, we've got some questions from people that i'd like to like to put to you if that's all right kim rather than just me, me and bart boring you all night um <laughs> so ed dixon would be interested to know you know on average what what your training volumes like i guess in terms of perhaps you know weekly mileage and could you give an example of a sort of session that you might be doing, especially in the run-up to your Lakeland 24-hour record? I guess when I was first went into lockdown, I kind of went through the process of actually hoping that UTMB would still be on. And so I kind of reset my plans towards that. So I kind of brought my volume down and started to focus on intensity so my volume around then for lot runners would still be quite high. It was in the sort of 60 to 70 mile range yeah. and running 5,000 to 6,000 meters of ascent. Yeah. Um, How does that pan out in terms of time, the time you spend in a week? Because uh, on, on the bells, that must be quite a lot. So that's sort of like 14, 15, 16 hours. Yeah. Um, on the fells and that was a period where I was putting in two sometimes on the odd week three interval sessions so uh, one to three minute intervals um, sets of uh, four to six of those um, and then combine it with a bit more endurance pre and post the interval session because um, I only had one run a day so I kind of combined it all in, in one multi-session. And then then I kind of moved away from the intervals, but more towards, I guess, more longer intervals, more in the sort of tempo range, threshold yeah. sort of work, and, and started to try and extend out the intensity of, of my interval work. And I would say that perhaps the volume was starting to go up towards... Uh, 75 80 miles and towards 8,000 meters a climb a week and then finally I had like a three-week peak 
period where I pretty much hit uh, 105 miles, 100 miles, 95 miles. Um, first of those weeks was 11,000 meters, 8,000, 7,500 meters. And that was my oh, yes. peak three weeks. Yeah. And if we're looking at time for those, um, yeah, so basically a day, a day running yeah, for those, those three weeks. How, I mean, have you always trained such huge volumes or did it take you a while to build up to that kind of, you know, having that sort of capacity? I mean, it, it, it's taken several years to, to be able to uh, know I can handle that sort of volume. Yeah. Um, initially, that lot of volume when I was training for multi-sport was bike and run. So in, in terms of training load, I knew I could handle the time, but a lot of it was on bike, so you didn't have the same stress as you would running. And then I did fall foul of of that sort of volume um, in the sort of twenty year, year twenty sixteen. Yeah, I cut out all the biking and focused on running, and I got injured. Um, and so yeah, I, I pushed the boundary too far. Discovered that actually I need to back off here, and and now I've worked out how to run the volume and how to recover as well. And, and how to to make sure I listen to my body. And after that third week, I, I knew then that actually I'm reaching that point of fatigue. My body's starting to break down. Uh, we'll add two rest days back to back. I'm not, not afraid to go, okay, I need the extra recovery. And then add a recovery day after that to really make sure I'm recovering. And then hit the volume again. So it's it's... It's a careful balancing act of trying to learn what's right for you and what's not. And, and some, sometimes you've just got to push the boundary and discover where that line is. Yeah. And, and sometimes once you know you've got across it, you know where it is. Yeah. And, and then you, you kind of work back from that. In terms of volume, I know I do a big mountain volume, but a lot of it is relatively slow. Slow, easy miles, um, hiking as well. Yeah, I think that's something people don't, particularly with, with mountain running and bell running, people don't kind of factor into their training maybe is is actually, you know, it is okay to, to walk up a hill. Yeah. I mean, a large, a large part of that volume is hiking up hills yeah. slowly away. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're fatigued and tired, last thing I want to do is, is run hard but I still can spend a long day in the hills just yeah. moving through it. Um, it's definitely, I mean, just from a, just from a person, I mean, I've I made a huge amount of mistakes in my, in my training uh, over the years, but that was definitely one of them, going out for, for long runs in the hills, being tired, but being almost too embarrassed, like just sort of pushing myself too fast because I was too embarrassed to sort of slow, to slow down to a walk. You know, you, what you got to remember is that even at the, the top end is that we do a lot of easy yeah. running and, and walking and, and that's, that's good. And it, and it needs to make up most of your, your training um, to build up uh, your endurance side and develop your, your heart and your lungs and, 
and, and build that capacity to to run run distance. Um, but it's also worth remembering that you want the quality there as well. That you don't want to lose the speed by not not practicing it. Um, but it's got to be relative to all you all you do. If if you're only doing four sessions a week and you're trying to do two hard sessions, that's probably too many hard sessions than relative to your easy sessions. You might be thinking, actually, you're better off doing one hard session a week and make the other three really easy. And you'll you'll benefit more from from that. It's nice to to hear that, uh, yeah, an elite runner saying, yeah, definitely the key is to do more easy running and possibly as much walking uphill as possible. That's I'm, I, I can sign up for that. I can sign up for that. Yeah. Um, we've got another question uh, from Robin Rutherford. Uh, that is a family connection. It's my dad. Um, he, he wants to know, um, yeah, for your record, um, what food kept you going? I know you mentioned a lot about uh, salt intake. You know, have you, have you got any favorites, any favorite things that you put in there to keep you going or do you play it quite scientifically or do you just go for stuff that you like? I, I try and think about what sort of sodium I need and what likely, uh, how much fluid I'm going to be taking in mm-hmm. and, and try and get the, that sort of right barn door of sodium that I should be taking per liter, which, which, is, which is important that you don't want to be getting hypernutremic um, or, or the other way as well. So, you, so I do try and work out what, what salt is in my food and do I need to supplement that at all? Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me on this, it, it wasn't, it, it did break down and I used packets of crisps to try and bring out. Um, I was definitely over drinking because I had, it wasn't that hot as I was expecting and because you've got support you've got fluid extra fluid with you so I was consciously trying to drink a lot to make sure I wasn't getting dehydrated and then finding actually (laughs) I was I was getting a short on that so my go-to was crisps it's it's straight hiss of of what what flavours Kim this is the this is the real this is the good stuff (laughs) what what flavours are we talking uh cheese and onion oh yeah Nice. Any any brands? No, it was 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 it any anything particular? Okay. I think it was own brand at the time. Fair enough. We we mentioned Stuart Walker earlier, friend of the podcast. Hello, Stuart, if you're listening. Um, he's partial to a Vimto bar or two. I think when he's doing any long rounds, have you got anything extra? You know, any any curveballs that you that you like to take on board, Kim? Uh, pizza. Pizza. Oh. Yeah. Now we're talking. Not cooked too too well. A little underdone, so it keeps the moisture. Yeah, um, that, oh. that is essential for a long endurance round. I find it's got everything you need: a bit of carb, a bit of fats, some all salt, your macros, all your macros, yeah, all in one. And then and then I did get quite a lot of sugary stuff. So the the mountain fuel jellies uh, use a lot of those. I use chia um, gels as well because um, that gets a bit of protein in. Um, I do use um, long haul pureed um, food that I know I'm getting the macros and the sodium in those to try and balance off uh, a lot of chews, those little energy chews, because I find they're like rocket fuel. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I definitely start off sweet when I'm running hard and fast because that's generally I'm burning a lot more sugar at that stage because I am kind of racing towards the end. I'm moving more towards savory and less sweet. Um, and then right at the end, I was probably back on sweet because that's all I could just squeeze down and hope it would stay down and, mm-hmm. and to keep the energy. Yeah, so a, a wide variety, a variety, but sweet and savoury. No, that's a good answer. Thank you. Yeah, and great question, Jamie's dad. Absolutely <laughs> love that one. Yeah, next question. Uh, George Foster from Ambleside. I think you might know him, Kim. Um, he wants to know who are the top runners you've ever run with? And in your opinion, what makes them so good what makes you a good runner a good runner george foster he's one of the top runners i've run with he had to be the top runner to um run on leg one <laughs> with me um is it george that you've got to blame for going out so fast yeah yeah definitely he was, he was leading away down the road and i just had to keep on his heels um, no, that was all my own fault what makes good runner good runner Ability to listen to your body and feel what you're doing. So, you know, developing that, that sense of uh, what pace is, what it feels like. The ability to push when you need to push and then be able to back off as well. So uh, sometimes the, I know what the problem I suffer is, is that I am a competitive pusher type A athlete that always always driven um so learning how to go enough's enough and take those rest days forgetfulness so, so you forget the pain and the suffering and get back out the door um and be able to enjoy it enjoy the process the, the joy and, and love of running in the outdoors and the mountains that's the key to being a good athlete if you're not enjoying what you do then, then you're not going to challenge yourself. Yeah, I think that's great. I know it's what makes the four of us uh, from on the back foot keep going out. Is We've talked about on previous episodes, we've all had terrible runs and, and probably messed up more, more than we've succeeded. But I think it, at the end of the day, it's, it's fun. You know, we, get, we get a lot of fun from running together, uh, running with other club members, r- running separately. You know, sometimes it's just nice to get out. I, you know, I really love it just getting out at the end of the day. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. Fun, fun is the is the key, isn't it? And the, and the other thing is that it's only a race. You know, you have your bad races. You you think about it. Why was it a bad race? But then you're able to compartmentalize it and then move on. I think that's a key thing of. Um, being able to move on, um, and, and and that's that's what I kind of also mean by forgetfulness, is, is that you've learned from your mistakes, but you you then try and benefit from all the good things that you've learned as well. Fantastic, yeah. All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna if it's alright with you, Bart, I'm gonna close with the last question. Um, Kim, if you could choose one song to listen to when you were running, what would it be? Oh, that's, that's a difficult one. Uh, just because I'm, I'm someone that generally runs in, in nature and enjoys the sound of nature, but what song would it be? For me, a song that always inspires me is Old Man by Neil Young. All right. 
Fantastic. Thank you very much. We will make sure we stick it onto our On the Back Foot podcast. We're, we're curating a list of, of tracks at the minute. I know not everybody um, necessarily listens. I certainly don't listen to that much music when I'm running, but it, it's, it's good to hear other songs and again, be able to think, okay, if this is going to get Kim going, it's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I guess it was, it's more um, a connection to, to my past and why I run. Um, that's great what makes it me cool well thank you for sharing that with us and thank you for taking the time out to come and talk to us to to motivate us and and hopefully motivate all our listeners i'm sure that well i know i've definitely taken something away from speaking to you tonight and i'm going to yeah carry a few things forward hopefully into my next few runs um i'm looking forward to going out for a walk with some pizza (laughs) (laughs) with the beers or not with the beers (laughs) (laughs) quite possibly yeah thank you very much Kim um, we wish you all the best in whatever comes your way next this year we look forward to hopefully further successes and further records thank you Jamie thank you Bart it's been a pleasure no worries take care yeah. cheers bye bye, bye mate bye bye well there we have it that was our interview with Kim Carlson I think he's fascinating. I mean, as I said at the start, he's obviously an incredible athlete, but I think he's actually just a really genuinely cool person. Like it was really interesting hearing again, how he got into it or how he got out of running as well and came back to it. I mean, the adventure racing on its own is fantastic enough. And then he's obviously applied all the kind of principles he's learned through doing that to become a really physically and mentally kind of resilient runner. Yeah. Fantastic. I I think that was great. I mean, what a, what an interview. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't there because I'd have probably not really said much anyway because I'd have just been sat there open mouth. It was bloody interesting stuff, to be honest. Um, some really great kind of insights into how things work at that kind of sharp end. But I don't know, from, from my point of view, there's quite a lot of, I'd say, those insights about the sharp end were things that I could almost think about for me personally. I'm kind of very much at the blunt end. But some of the little insights about, you know, like walking up hills and not worrying about pace and things. And I know we've mentioned about things like this in on the pod before, but it's just nice to hear that the things that the top guys and gals think about are things that we can all think about and apply to ourselves, which is nice to hear. I think, you know, you, you, you often think about what the pros must do and it must be this otherworldly kind of different level. But essentially, it's all the same stuff. So that's kind of the main main message I took from it, which was which is... I don't know, quite nice and humbling. It's, it's good to think about. Good to hear that if it's all going tits up, you can just have some crisps and pizza and it'll bring you right back on track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a good question. There was a couple other good questions. And I think the, uh, the, the lad, was it a George somebody, who'd asked him what, what he thought was a good runner. And I thought that list was great. You know, it was things like a good runner is someone who can listen to their body was just such a great takeaway because everyone obviously thinks a good runner is someone who can just like smash out a best park run or whatever you know I think we we hold uh, times so highly in like club running levels that actually you know actually someone who just enjoys running and regularly gets out running and stays relatively injury free for a long period of time that's that's like listening to your body and just enjoying it like that's that should be held in just as high high esteem I think sometimes than someone who's got a natural talent and can go a bit quicker and then the other question I really enjoy is just just the way our, our um, one of our interviewers sort of licks his lips when he's just about to ask somebody what 
what went wrong? What's, what's gone wrong in your running? And there's a sudden sort of like rise and the joy in our, our good friend Bart, who's just really excited to hear about other people effing up on the running circuit. And I, I can't wait for it now. It's, it's becoming my favourite question. I'm, I'm sort of, look, look, when you ask it? It's the only thing I can relate to. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds more like me. <laughs> What about the Great Lakes race, Charlie? You know, really respectful, really respectfully dealt with that. I thought you guys were very complimentary about me in that. Uh, it was nice to hear how he how he found it like such a like good race. And uh, I just slid down on my bum, uh, cackling like a small child. Whereas he was obviously like racing for positions at the end. That was really nice one to hear. I think just just for the record, if I was there, I'd have probably gone in on you there sorry mate <laughs> as that got brought up I was I was kind of listening to that and then I was like oh this is going to be great the boys are going to get in on Baker here and oh they weren't way too nice so I was so close I was so close to going in but I couldn't actually remember Bates whether my impression was you actually didn't do too much wrong in that race you didn't get badly lost you suffered from a bit of heckling wasn't yeah. this the the spider crab where you decided you you built a new downhill running technique called the spider crab no, that was me mucking up Steve Bob Graham. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just getting lost. Big, big just... Yeah, I thought, so I, I thought Spider Crab was first deployed at that fell race. I didn't... I... Oh, no, yeah. Uh, no, I gave a relatively good account of myself at Great Lakes. There was one navigational error early on, and uh, the rest of it, I was a man doing something that he wasn't normally used to doing I, I thought I was I fair I, I would have stood finished about 128 or something and was quite proud of myself that's yeah. very good going. I just had visions like you said there I had a, a navigational error earlier on I just had visions of you you know most fell races start on a cricket pitch I just had visions of you of most people <laughs> leaving out of one gateway and you you were off down the other one <laughs> you end up in the wrong lake district he's yeah. in like the the one in Spain or something <laughs> what was there for me at that time of of you know deep deep worry but I did have uh, two fun size snicker bars so uh, they were there they were there for me to just grab a hold of and uh, yeah go back to my happy place. I mean if snickers are listening is it Nestle like we, we think we've mentioned snickers bars on every single episode so far so is it, if there's any runners at snickers HQ that are listening to this then hit us up. But only the fun size ones. Oh yeah, yeah. the half marathon version. Yeah. I wonder how many of them would count for a lifetime supply. I suppose it depends on how many Snickers you eat in a lifetime, doesn't it? Well, I don't think I've ever had one, so just one would be a lifetime. Well, that's because you're no fun. Also, ironically, the more you eat in a lifetime, the shorter your lifetime, so then you'd have less. <laughs> yeah. It's this weird paradox. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a graph with two curves that cross yeah. over. Yeah, the intersection is, is not good. <laughs> uh, so who have we got coming up? Who's... Um... So we, as I, like we said at the, the start of the podcast, we've actually got two other amazing guests already recorded and lined up, ready to go. And so this one was a bit of a, a shoehorn in because Kim became available and, and, and very kindly offered to come onto the podcast as well. So we kind of shoehorn this in, but we've got two kind of great episodes that are slightly different actually in terms of tone. So we've got one coming up with Mandy Moore, um, who is a friend of ours through Totley Running Club and a very... Um, well-renowned um, podiatrist so we've got a really good episode up there and she's great fun absolutely hilarious yeah. and again yeah. I missed that one so I'm, I'm doing pretty terribly on the records here so I've not actually listened to what she had to say so I'm looking forward to that one and then Philippa Williams highlight. real coup I think for us like uh, 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 you know, we we seem to be getting on some really really like top quality 
you know, international runners. So, yeah, Philippa had an amazing breakout year last year. So really, really excited to talk to her. Yeah, so we've got those lined up. They'll be out um, with you, hopefully, in the, in the coming weeks. And we'll try and pull our fingers out and, and get some more podcasts recorded with some cool guests and maybe even just with us four and get some more out soon, hopefully. Well, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. It's been awesome to see how many records have fallen, the men and women around this country and internationally that have done some incredible running. And I think, you know, even as this podcast goes to air, there are still record attempts going on and on. Uh, so hopefully there's going to be even more for us to talk about in, in coming episodes. But thank you, Kim Collison, once again, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. So whoever you are, wherever you are, Have a great week and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. That was the podcast. We talked about running. We talked about other things too. Thank you for joining. We hope you enjoyed it. That was on the back foot.